this week I got caught up in a little bit of something um, fun that I enjoy watching from time to time. I'm interested in, not that I will ever get to participate unless um, one of you decides to sponsor me on it for a few million dollars. I watched the sixth human spaceflight of Blue Origin. You know what Blue Origin is? It's the capsule they're taking private citizens up in to, um, in order to demonstrate what is uh, possible in space flight. It's the next step in eventually sending people on space tourism, if you will. It's still really expensive right now, and certain people get sponsored, but it's kind of interesting. I'll show you real quick. This is the crew um, of the Blue Origin. And there are all kinds of amazing people on here. This is the first Egyptian that has ever been to space was on there. The first person from Portugal to ever go to space was on there. Um, the guy that invented the technology about four decades ago that led to the driverless cars of today is on there. He's the, the older gentleman there in the middle. There is the lady in the middle at the top um, has now been to the highest Height on Earth, Mount Everest, the lowest point on Earth, and now to space. She's the first person to ever do that. But none of those interesting people were why I was interested in this flight. I was interested in the guy in the middle right there. All right? How many of you know who Kobe Cotton is? Right? Right? Kobe Cotton. How many of you have no clue who Kobe Cotton is? All right, there we go. Kobe Cotton is a part of a group of college roommates that when they were in college started doing trick shots and filming them and putting them on the internet. He is one of the original five of Dude Perfect. All right. And Dude Perfect, somebody I've watched their career for years. I remember on SportsCenter seeing their very first video. They played it on SportsCenter one night and they, that's really cool. They were Texas A&M guys. For a while, they did material for Lifeway until they got too big for that. Uh, now they are on YouTube, and on YouTube they have 58.1 million people subscribed that see their videos every time they come out. Now you think, wow, that's cool. What does that have to do with real life? Well, that means, on average, they make about 15 million a year. From YouTube alone, their net worth is somewhere around a hundred million dollars from guys making trick shots on the internet. In a recent battle, they, they they had a competition to see who could shoot a rocket into space or as close to space as possible, and whoever got the highest. Someone who is interested in having people interested in space said, "We will sponsor the winner on a trip." To space on Blue Origin. And Kobe, his twin brother, by the way, Kobe won. He came down to him and Ty. Ty wins everything normally. And so Kobe doesn't win very much. And so people were really excited Kobe was there. And I saw that they, they kind of mentioned it was there. And so I found this on you. You can find it on YouTube. You can watch the, the launch, the sixth one. He was in seat four, as you can see. 
But what I also love about these kind of things, I love the idea. They, they just go up and literally you're in space for like a minute and a half or two minutes. It's not very long, but they break the space seal. They kind of all unstrap and they float around for a minute and you can hear them in the cockpit talking and then they descend back to earth. And what I always love about these kinds of shows before, watch the show before, the information before, is what's in that top right hand corner. The countdown clock. Now, it's frozen at six minutes and three seconds. That's not when it gets exciting, right? It gets exciting when it starts to bubble up and you get down to ten, nine, eight. Reminds me of when I was in elementary school and the space program was at its kind of zenith of popularity and we would get out of class to go to the gym or to a lounge somewhere out in the hallway, and they would roll a TV in. This is before smart boards or Elmos or computers. They would roll a TV in, get the antenna just right. They put the aluminum foil on top if you had to, to get it just right, to tune in to watch the space shuttle launches. Remember the anticipation? Seven, six. Smoke would start to clear. We're ready for takeoff. Two, 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 one. And then it starts to rumble. And that huge craft would begin to rise. I loved it. Thought I wanted to be an astronaut. Tried to figure out how to go to space camp. Because in the movie Space Camp, they accidentally get shot into space. That was my dream at that time. To have a robot named Max push the wrong button and put me into space. I never made the astronaut thing, right? But I still love the idea of it. Now, if you were here 15 years ago on this weekend, you heard almost the exact same opening illustration. It was my first sermon ever in this place. Because 15 years ago today was the day that I came to this church in view of a call to be your pastor. And I talked in that moment out of Ephesians chapter 3, where we're going to be today. I'm not going to do the same sermon, although most of you either weren't here or wouldn't remember it, so it doesn't matter. But some of you have the notes in your Bible because you've told me, all right? So I'm going to preach the exact same message. But the message is just as important and just as real today. The message that I preached that morning, slightly less weight, clean shaven, actually wearing a tie, some of you are like, I miss that guy, was that I believe that God has unbelievable things prepared for this church and that we are ready to launch into God's glorious future. Can I tell you something? It's been an awesome 15 years. There have been celebrations that have happened. We have seen well over a hundred people give their life to Jesus and be baptized. We have seen mission trips to Texas and to Kentucky and to Brazil and to Chile, Los Angeles, Denver. Multiple people in those areas saved somewhere around by my calculation through those mission trips, somewhere in the 8,000 mark of people that have been impacted and said yes to Jesus or have increased, have made a decision for him in the midst of that. 
We've been through some awesome moments together. We've been through some difficult moments together. I've done weddings for some of you in this room and for some of your children. I've done funerals for people that were in this room 15 years ago, a lot of them. For family members that have been lost for you in this room. We built relationships. We've had an awesome opportunity to get to know each other. And today, I can think of no better day than to think, okay, so what's next? What does God intend for us? And if you've been around or you know me at all, you know that everything that we do, I want it to be based on what Scripture calls us to do. And I want to go back to that passage in Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. And I want us to just read through this passage. I'm going to look at four areas that I believe God is calling us to um, improve is a weird word, but to grow in. And what those areas may be and how they impact us. And I want to talk in a, in a broad theological sense about it. I want to break down parts of this. And then I want to give some real practical steps going forward and give you the opportunity to be a part of discussions about those going forward. So starting in Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14, it says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, and I pray that He, the Lord, may grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through the Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and established firmly in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and the width and the height and the depth of God's love. And to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations Forever and ever and ever and ever. And all of God's people said, Amen. Paul gives us four areas that I think are vital for any church and areas that I want to see us grow in in the years ahead, the two, three years that are coming. I want to see us as a church grow into. And the first area that is obvious because of what this entire passage is is that we need to grow in prayer. Paul actually starts this section in verses 14 and 15 saying, for this reason. Now, what's interesting is he started this prayer in chapter 3, verse 1, and then his mind got interrupted by another thought. Anybody here ever start to pray and then your mind wanders a little bit? Anybody here? Yeah, I do. Start to pray, Lord, I just want to thank you today for just a beautiful day. Man, it's been sunny a lot lately. I wonder if the rain, what's it, when's it going to rain again? Man, how hot is it outside today? And then you try to kind of rain it back in, right? Well, well, Paul does kind of the same thing. He says, I, on Christ's behalf of Christ, on your behalf, for you Gentiles. And then he stops and goes, I mean, that's assuming that you're saved and assuming you understand the power you have and assuming, and he gets off on this tangent. And so in verse 14, he comes back and he says, for this reason, back to where I started, he says, I kneel before the Father. Now it's important 
Because the word kneel that I have highlighted there is not the normal posture of prayer for the Hebrew or Jewish people in this day or even for Christians as we can see in the first part of Christianity. During the time when Paul was writing, most people stood with their hands out or looked up to heaven, which makes sense in a way to look to heaven to say, Jesus, God, thank you for what you are. Thank you as you're thinking about a higher place, lifted higher. But it says here that Paul's not lifting his head towards the heaven. It says he's not standing with his arms outspread, receiving whatever the Lord might have for him, which is another thing, which is, by the way, the the, the basis or the history of the posture that we have oftentimes in worship with our hands raised is receiving from the Lord whatever he would have for us. But it says here that he is kneeling. He's on the ground. He is saying, Lord, I am here in submission before you. Coming into this place. And he says that in his place, as he is knelt before the Father, he is praying. The use of the words and the order in the original language makes us understand that this is no ordinary passing prayer. This is a intense, fervent prayer. It is a prayer that is coming from the very depths of his soul. It is a prayer that is, is, is reverberating throughout his spirit. This is a passionate plea for the Lord. This is a, a, a desire that he can only express. It, it speaks of even this kind of idea that is mentioned in the New Testament when we don't have the full words to say that we just kind of utter and groan and moan. And it is interpreted for us by the Spirit through Jesus to the Father about what is meant. It is an intense, dedicated prayer. And he's going to pray for some very specific things. And we're going to talk about those in detail in a minute. He's going to pray for their growth. He's going to pray for their knowledge. He's going to pray for their wisdom. He's going to pray that they would be the, the ambassadors that God has called them to be. He's going to pray for God's fullness to fill their lives. And he says basically that my desire is that we as people will engage in making this a regular part of what we're doing. His prayer was based on what he knew the plan of God was. And so there's not a lot of prayer about personal needs in this before he goes to the needs of others and the kingdom of God and the desire to see it grow. And if we're going to see this church become all that God intends for it to be, we have to be people that are praying for God's will and grand plan to come to place. And whatever that means for our lives and for the lives of the people in our community, we are praying that God will move us in that direction to see people come to faith in Jesus and grow up in their faith. We need to be people more fervent in our prayer. For each of these things, by the way, I'm going to give you some some 
ideas that I see that are formulating in my head and some opportunities that you can have to help be a part of that. And in most of these, there's going to be two kinds of things. There's going to be, be manpower. There's going to be volunteer. There's going to be you, me, working together, figuring out as a church what that looks like and volunteering and helping. And there's going to be some investment as well that not only are we going to have to, to build the people and what we're doing, there's going to be some infrastructure that has to go towards that. And in this particular one, what I'm saying is that we need to become individuals of prayer that leads to groups of prayer that leads to a church of prayer. The first step is for you individually to become someone that is praying on a regular basis in your home, with your family, in your small groups, where you are and what you're doing. That's the first step is that individuals praying together. And then it moves to ministries and areas of places. It's already happening now in a couple of places. I know new initiatives are happening. I know many of your Sunday school classes pray every week. I'm praying for the needs of the members in that class, which is awesome and needs to happen. But also begin praying for the greater picture for the church and for our place in the grand design and purpose of God for the very things that Paul prays here praying even this prayer over your church or your small group our church our youth ministry in the last few months on Wednesday nights they meet for an hour on Wednesday nights starting several months ago now many of them began to stay afterwards to have a prayer time now, I know that this may not be to you, but the allure for many of them following youth, not finishing up with youth worship is to head to the gym where an all out wreck fest begins. On any Wednesday night, you may be see dodgeball, kickball and basketball happening on the same half of the court. But many of our students have chosen to delay that. To spend time in a student-led time of prayer for their ministry and for our church. I was talking to Janetta just this week and based on the leadership of one of our preschool leaders, our preschool teachers are starting to meet on Sunday mornings before Sunday school to spend time in intense Pointed prayer for that day. We're in the process of having conversations with some people that have expressed interest and have a desire and feel God leading them to be part of leading a prayer ministry that is church wide here at the church. And we're looking for opportunities for adults and small groups to be a part of that. We're going to need some help in volunteering and we're planning on in the next couple of weeks having a meeting of anybody that would be interested. And when you leave this place this morning out on a couple of tables there are sign-up sheets there are multiple sign-up sheets for multiple things we're going to talk about but one of those is prayer ministry and if you'd be interested in being a part of what is happening in the prayer ministry of our church of helping to develop a more robust and a more comprehensive prayer ministry for what we're doing then you ought to sign up on that list and we'll get in touch and we'll figure out a time and we'll come together and talk about it Like I said, God's already burdened the hearts of a few people to be leaders in that. We need some other people to come along and be a part. If we're going to be the church that God has called us to be, it's going to require significant, specific, for the glory of God, prayer. 
The second thing that it's going to require is robust discipleship. Paul makes that clear because basically what he prays is that they would become disciples of Christ fully formed. He says this in verse 16, I pray, and this is the, the request that he makes according to the riches of his glory. By the way, he's saying giving compared to what we've already learned about what God's done for us, corresponding to the inexhaustible wealth of his radiance and power available to us because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross and in the resurrection. There is no limit for what we can ask of the Lord. And so what I'm asking of the Lord right now is that you would be strengthened in your inner being through the Spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He's praying that Christ may dwell in our hearts. Those two phrases are kind of correspond to one another, that inner strength being come through the Spirit and that Christ may dwell. Both of those are actions that are outside of ourselves and it is basically putting ourselves in a position to hear from God, to follow God, to do what God has called us to do. It is individuals saying to the Lord, Lord, we are surrendered to you. We need your strength. We need your hope. We need your life instilled in us and we are trusting that you're going to do it. The picture that is given here is of ever-increasing closeness to the Lord as we continually open ourselves up to Him being in control. The inner person, that is the base of operation. The heart is the center of who we are. It is the heart. It is the mind. It is the spirit. It is our life. It's not anything really with the external, although it's impacted by it. It is the basic concept of who we are inside one of the interesting little parts of that is it says christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and some people say well if we're a believer in jesus or he tells us that jesus the spirit lives within us and that is true that the word used here for dwell is a different kind of word it means and it is in a continual sense it means that he is praying that christ will make a home in your heart and that his will and his desires and his purposes will be the driving influence of your life in fact in the original language in the greek there are two different words for dwell two different words for make a home and one is a word that means to inhabit as a stranger. Uh, the, the Kind of the way to think of it today is it, part of an Airbnb house. You may have been on vacation and lived in an Airbnb house. Four of us, good. Anybody, anybody know what that is? Like you've heard, okay. Anybody know it because they're doing it in your neighborhood and you're mad about it in your neighborhood? All right, here we go. Why are people mad about their neighborhood? Because the people that come and live there aren't long-term residents there. Short term, they come and just live for a little bit, then they leave. That's not the word he uses here. He uses the word for settle down and be permanent. It's the difference between a residence and a lodging. Asking God to live in us. His prayer is, basically, that the people of God will allow God to so change their inner being that it is driven by characterized by the Spirit of Christ in them. He goes on to say, I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and the width and the height and the depth of God's love, 
and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. A couple of things there. First of all, to comprehend with the length and width and the height and depth. It's interesting because there are pages and pages that have been filled trying to figure out what that means. There are people that say that it is a formula that was used by magic users in those days. And Paul is saying that the ultimate king and authority over all the powers is Christ. And it is demonstrated by his power that is both um, wide and deep from one edge to the other. The four dimensions that are there. There are others that talk about, no, it's just his love. There are some that say, don't make too much out of it. It's just a general sense. But since the beginning of interpretation, the earliest interpreters have said that what it definitely demonstrates is that Christ's love is high enough to reach the heavens to make atonement for us, that it is wide enough to embrace even the most difficult of us to embrace, and it is low enough to go into the depths of hell to raise up anyone that would give their lives to Jesus. It also has been referenced on many times times that if you just make the picture of what it describes here and if you just go there 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 and there it looks like the cross of Christ and Paul's basic assumption here is that if you could just understand the depth the breadth the height the width of the love of God for you it would radically change how you live He basically prays that they would have the strength to endure the depth of faith to continue on. The comprehension, that word in the original language, it comes from to grasp with, to to grab on to. And the fullness of God within us. His prayer is basically that the people of God will experience the fullness of the life that God has promised. Paul's prayer's main intent is clear here. He wants his reader strengthened by God's Spirit to know intimately Christ's presence and love. And when that happens, everything else will fall into place. God wants us to make sure that our discipleship are growing into be like Christ is continuing to develop and strengthen here at First Baptist. Well, what does that look like? Well, first of all, it means continuing to strengthen our Sunday morning small group and Sunday school time for sure. Investing where we need to invest in that. We need leaders in that. We need people that are willing to teach in that. We need people that have feel a calling on the Lord to start classes and be a part of that. For a church, it means continuing to invest in the next generation, in our preschool, in our children, and our youth. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago or last week, but over the last few weeks, our youth in the midst of the summer and in the midst of a coming out of a pandemic that has changed everything, our youth have seen an increase over the last three weeks every week in the number of people attending on our Wednesday night service. Our children had an awesome week at Center Kid. 
God is moving in those areas, and we need to invest the resources that we can in that. We're thankful for the great teachers and leadership that we have, teaching Sunday school, being a part of Sunday morning, being a part of Wednesday night. We're thankful for that. We need to do all that we can for them. Part of that includes making sure, and this is going to seem like a very practical thing, and like, why is this here? Because it's important. We need to make sure they have the transportation they need to get where they need to go. Both of the vehicles that we have out there are older than my time here at First Baptist. The van that we use occasionally when we can, and they do, the Property and Grounds Committee does a phenomenal job keeping that thing going, was old when I got here. That's been 15 years, by the way. We need to invest some resources in something that is reliable. Next year, our two groups are so excited. I'm so excited. Our children are going to Ridgecrest for the first time in a long time. I'm so excited for them. That's the place I was called to ministry. I look forward to hearing the reports of what God does there. Our youth are going to the beach for camp. They hadn't done that in a long time. We need to make sure they can get there. And we've been renting and doing all that, and we can do that. It's just a lot of money to put towards something that we get no return on. We need to invest in that. We need to invest in the next generation. We're starting a new Sunday school class next week. We're starting a new worship service in a couple of weeks on Wednesday nights afterwards for our 18 to 30-year-olds. That's a place that our church has not done a good job of having anybody around for. And so all of that, we are going to put a place for them to be on Sunday mornings in Sunday school. We're going to be a place for them to be on Wednesday nights after Noah's going to lead that. We've got people to lead worship in that. After the youth service is over, clear that, and we're going to have our young adults up there. That's a group that we have to invest in more them are sticking around more of them are around the area and we can't just say all right you're done you're gone go find your way we need to be a part of their spiritual growth in that time our men's and women's ministry needs an injection of leadership and prayer and programming we need some people to help us we're going to have a meeting in the next few weeks with groups that would be interested in determining what a men's ministry looks like, what a women's ministry it continues to be and looks like here at this church. And when you go out in those places that you can sign up, there are a couple of places to sign up. If you'd be interested in talking about what that looks like for men's ministry and women's ministry in this church, you can sign up on those sheets and we'll have a conversation within the next couple of weeks. Paul's major prayer in this thing is that people would come to follow Christ. And those who have followed Christ would be grown up into who it is. Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the way that God grows us as individuals and what that looks like for us. And my prayer is that we'll see discipleship begin to become more robust here. Third thing that is in this passage that we need to be aware of and a part of is worship. Verse 20 says, now to him who is able, that is a phrase that was used throughout scripture to talk about the goodness and the greatness of God. To him who is able to do above and beyond all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory. Paul uses a word here that does not exist any place other than this passage of scripture in the history of the world. Because Paul takes a word for 
power or able to do. And he piles prefixes on top of it until he says what he wants to say. Someone said it like this. Something of the force of the capture of what he's doing can be seen when you look at the language. God is said to be able to do what believers ask in prayer. He is able to do what they might fail to ask, but what they can think. He is able to do all that they ask or think. He is able to do above all they ask or think. He is able to do abundantly above all that they ask or think. He is able to do more abundantly above all he ask or think. He is able to do infinitely more abundantly above all than they ask or think. Here's what I can tell you, regardless of what you've been praying, your prayers are too small. Regardless of what you've been praying, your prayers are too small because we got a God that can give us anything we can ask or think above and beyond, beyond what we can even imagine. And what Paul does when he gets to the end of chapter three and chapter three is the end of the first section. Chapter four is going to start saying, now, here's what we got to do with it. He spends time in prayer of Christ, of God, of who he is, of celebrating the wonder of God's greatness and his goodness of overflowing with. We talked about last week how it just bubbles up inside and overflows. He just can't help but say, praise be to God. And we, as a church body, have to be a group of people that are openly worshiping and praising God. Unashamedly, unabashedly with all that we are. Psalm 150 kind of worship with everything we've got and with everything that we are. We got to worship Last thing, and then we're done. There's an element here that you may not see, but is vital for us as a church, is in this passage, and is vital to the entire process of the New Testament. And that is not just prayer and discipleship and worship, but it's outreach. You say, well, pastor, I didn't see anywhere in there where he told us to go out. But this is what's hidden there in verse 21. It wasn't hidden to Paul. It's hidden to us when we read it. He says, to him be glory in the church. Another interpretation of that, and there's some discussion about this, could be for him be glory through the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, to all people, to all nations, to all tribes, to all tongues, forever." And ever. Amen. And the point that Paul is making is he's summing up the entire first section of this letter by saying it is our responsibility. It is our privilege. It is our opportunity to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations and to our neighborhoods and to the people around us. And that through us, the glory of God and his goodness and his love will be demonstrated for all people to all generations in all places forever and ever. Amen. The church is God's chosen mechanism for reaching out to people around us. We will feel the effects of COVID in a lot of areas for a long time going forward. But one, if you just look on a, on a scale and do the research and all of that, One of the institutions out there that got impacted the most by COVID is the local church. Attendance is still somewhere around 60% nationwide of what it was pre-COVID. 
Some of the latest data coming out have more people admitting they don't go to church than ever in the history of our nation. Before COVID, the average number of Tennesseans who attended church on a Sunday morning out of 10 was 2.5. I don't know how half a person goes to church, but that's the statistic. After COVID, the average is about 1.5. Now, here's what that means. There are eight and a half people out of every 10 sitting at home in need of someone to reach them. Maybe they're what some people call de-churched. They just haven't been in church in a while. Maybe some of you have just started kind of coming back. We need to reach out and offer to be the place if they're looking for a place to worship or people that have never accepted Jesus. The demographics of our area have changed significantly in the last 10 years. The number of people from moving from places where Christianity is not the majority religion at all is a lot. The nations are coming to our doorstep. Some of you may remember and some of you may not. The series of messages I did right before COVID hit was... Neighborhood Watch. We talked about this community right next door to us that's just been built. There's another one going up in Goodlesville in the near future that's bigger than that community. People there. We were starting outreach there. We did a video. I don't know if you remember. There was a drone picture where literally I'm standing there and they lifted up from me and you could see our spire right above it. And we talked about the numbers and the demographics and the people that are moving here and the number that are there to be reached. And we were excited about that and got some people to talk about that. And then the world shut down. And since then, we've had some awesome things. Jim Ball from a ministry down in Chattanooga, Tennessee, has come and helped to train us on a couple of occasions. And it's been awesome to have people doing training. And we've got people on a regular basis going to these apartments and going to other places and sharing the gospel in a very easy and real way. But we need more people involved and figure out what does that look like for us. And yes, that means getting in the community, but not just to be in the community, to be in the community to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've had a couple of people say, what is it going to take to fill this place again? Here's the simple answer that is more, it's more complicated than this in some ways, but here's the simple answer. This place becomes more full when the people that are currently in this place tell others, reach others, invite others to be a part of this place. Now, there are other avenues as well, and we need to explore those. The digital world and what we do online with our church has got to improve. Our website is the front door that most people see. And there are some proposals that we're looking at to help with that. We, we live stream every week now. We have some of our senior adults call me on a regular basis or I have conversations with them and they talk about how much they appreciate that, being able to be a part even when they can't get here. But it's also the place that I can almost guarantee you that somebody that walks in this door for the first time will already watch two or three online. That's what the statistics are telling us. You're like, well, I've never watched it online. Well, that's because you're already here. It's not just to make our church grow big. We need to do that to be a good witness to the Lord Jesus. And there's some infrastructure that we need to invest in. We just finished paying off the debt that we incurred when we did all of this renovation in this area and some other stuff, which is a 
celebration. August 1st, we paid all that off. That's a celebration worthy of saying thanks to the Lord for. Amen. But that also means that some of the equipment that we're using for technology is 11 or 12 years old. Because we haven't bought something new since then. Now, some of it's not some. We've had some very generous people that have helped us to get some equipment that we need, but there's more. And so there's going to have to be some investment in that. I'm not going to list all that today, but there's some investment that we need people that can help volunteer in our worship ministry up in the sound booth area. Not probably on the sound booth. That's a that's a long training process. Diane just cringed when I said in the sound booth area. That's a long training process, but on cameras and on computer and how we're doing it to live stream. We're no longer just the church on Main Street in Goodlitzville that people know about here. There's a digital world out there that is looking for the answers to Jesus Christ. And people come to our website and our stuff from the strangest of places. On Vimeo, it shows you where people watch our sermon videos every week. And we have people in Middle Eastern countries watching. We need to make sure that we're doing everything we can to the glory of God for the best that we can. Because after all, the goal here is the glory of God to be declared in this church of Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So here's my question. What's the part you play in the next few years of this church? I just want we're going to have a time of response. The most appropriate response, I think, in this moment is to pray. And so maybe where you are, you want to spend some time in prayer, or maybe you want to come to the front and spend some time praying for our church, for your staff, for our community, and for God's will to be done. I want to pray big prayers. I want to see big things because we have a God that is capable of doing above and beyond what we can ask or imagine. And this moment is not really the logistics moment of, oh, how do we get that and how do we do that and how do we pay for that and how do we get this? It's just prayer. When you leave today, they're going to be on the welcome desk and on these two tables off to the left. And I know a lot of times when I announce that kind of stuff, you just buzz right by to get to lunch. But I want you to pray and ask what it is that Lord is leading you to do. So there's a sheet out there for uh, men's ministry, for women's ministry, for prayer ministry, for outreach ministry, and for media ministry. Those are areas that we need help. We're going to have meetings in soon to kind of say, how can you help us along with that? And then we're going to push forward. We need to pray for whoever it is that we have a music search committee that has been faithfully working for quite a while now. God hasn't brought that person yet. It's not from a lack of effort. It's not from lack of prayer on their part. But we need to pray for them and pray that God continues to open eyes to what it is that we would do. And so as we're thinking through all that, in just a moment, we're going to pray. And as we pray, if you need to come and respond in prayer, if you need to respond in some other way, I'll be down front, Noah will be down front. You can come and fill these, these sides, this front with prayer as well.
But my prayer is, and I believe it to be true, that the best years of First Baptist Goodlettsville are ahead of us, not behind. Because we serve a God who is great and good. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you today and praise you for the glory of your name. You are great and you are good. You have saved us. You have given us a place with you. And Lord, for that, we are thankful. And Lord, today we pray that you would open our minds and our understanding of what it means to follow you, that you would help us to to, to know the unknowable, the, the, the height and the width and the breadth and the depth of the love of God, that you will help us, Lord, to look into this future and say, Lord, what does it look like for us to be the individuals, the families, the small groups, the Sunday school classes, the church that you've called us to be? And Lord, that you'll give us the wisdom to go forward and the courage to stand in your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.